Well, good morning. I'm Mark, the pastor, and I get to share God's Word with you this morning. It is just great always to be with this community. Some very deep, significant relationships that God has given us. And I want to pray for something before I start the message for our election this week. So, midterm elections. How many of you have gotten an electronic phone call recently? Anybody in here? About 40 electronic phone calls? So, uh, a lot of emotions, a lot of different things related to this election. I just want to celebrate the fact that we are neither blue nor red. We are followers of Jesus. We're people that want His kingdom to come and His will to be done. And it's a complicated thing in any environment. It's just two people talking to navigate any kind of a uh, conversation in the present political environment. But we want to pray that whatever happens, that the fear of the Lord, the reality of the presence of God would impact everyone involved in this process. And although all of our leaders don't always have uh, tremendous character, integrity, we want them to develop that. We want whatever pathway that that can penetrate their lives to accelerate. So will you agree with me? I encourage you to vote. I encourage you to be involved in this process to get an education in any way that you can. But we're asking right now, Jesus, for your kingdom to come, your will to be done in our country, in our city, in our state. Lord, we want the people of our nation to be aware that you know everything, that you see everything, that nothing in all creation is hidden from your sight. And we, we are asking in, for kingdom things to happen, for things to work in such a way that, that your church would be bolder and more righteousness, more righteous and full of light and life than ever before. We thank you, Lord, that you are God and we're not. And we ask for your very best to happen in our nation, in our city, in our governments, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, we, as Phil mentioned, are going to be talking today about Jesus and money. So Jesus is very important to us. He's king, he's God, creator of the universe. And actually money is kind of a big deal to us. We spend it, we look for it, we worry about it, we do all these different things related to money, and we want to know what God's perspective is. And we wander out into this dangerous territory in submission to God's Word and His will, so we're talking about it, okay? So come on in here with me in this conversation. I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 16. The big picture for what I'm talking about today in a parable is SSG, okay? Phenomenally memorable letters. Shrewd strategic generosity. Shrewd strategic generosity. So this is a complicated passage. There's a few things in here that, that kind of rub us the wrong way because Jesus' example of using a person that didn't have his act all together. So let me, let me read this to you. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 16, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, 
What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. Now, different ones, if you have different translations, they'll use 150. This is, those are measures, and the interpretation of that is a certain amount of gallons, a certain amount of bushels. So that's why the numbers are different there. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So then we move out of the parable. Three more verses here I'm going to read. Whoever can be trusted with very little also can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little also will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Lord, make your word alive. Give us revelation knowledge that we would not just be hearers, but we would be doers of your word today. In Jesus' name. So this, in this section of the book of Luke, Jesus is telling a number of parables. He's with his disciples, and there's other people that are standing around uh, listening. It says that, and when the Pharisees heard this, they were offended. So we see that, that it's not just a closed group in an isolated place. But he's teaching. And he teaches by telling these very memorable stories that glue, like stick like glue to the people that are listening. And in the passages that we have today, we've, we've got two primary parts. First, there's a parable. And then there are three quick verses, boom, 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 that make a point. And... So here's the story. There is a rich man who has a lot of property and all these different crops, and he has a manager that oversees things. And it turns out this guy is wasteful. He, uh, someone has told on him, someone said, wow, he's, he's either lazy or he's not taking care of the details, he's not thorough in some way, he's, he's wasting his masters, his boss's money. And uh, uh, so his, the rich man calls him in, tells him, got the goods on you, you've not been doing a good job, you're going to be fired. The manager freaks out, says, I, 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 we don't know his age, but he's not very strong. I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm, he's got a little bit of a class, so he's a manager, he's above certain people. He says, I'm ashamed to beg, I'm stuck what do I do? But he's a pretty sharp guy. He's pretty smart. So here's what I'll do. I'll go out and I will get, I'll give more of my master's money away. I'm going to take some people's bills and cut them in half or cut them by 20%. And 
Now, there's all these different things about this story that you kind of go in and say, wait a second, did the master know this, you know? Why did Jesus compliment this guy? You know, what, this is, is, what is this a good illustration of? kind of seems like Jesus is just saying this guy is really shrewd. Isn't that great? And so there's complications to this, and the good news is I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to f- explain that to you. Although I did spend a lot of time thinking about it and saying, surely there's some angle on this that I can take a key and unlock this and we'll all go, ta-da, wow, that made sense why this shrewd guy was actually good after all. Jesus normally uses good characters as examples, like the, the father and the prodigal son, or uh, uh, the, the widow, he points out, that, that gave a, a significant percentage of her income. But he also used things that really rub the wrong way, like the Samaritan being the hero. That just kind of dug underneath this Jewish culture's fingernails. It really stuck to them. So there's something about this story and him telling his disciples about this manager that, it, that really got their attention. And there, it may be, you know, I, uh, my wife and I, are, our children, lived in Indonesia for 10 years, and... I know this story plays very differently in that culture than it does in American culture. Because everyone in the, by, you know, 85% of the population in Indonesia is making $300 and less a month. Though they perceive themselves as on the poor end of things. And they would think like, yeah, you know, the guy's got enough. Why not take some of it? Surely God would, would allow you to do that. You know, if you're walking by Tom Brady's house and you find a $100 bill in the street in front, you're not going to knock on the door and say, Tom, I think you forgot something. You know, you, this must have fallen out of your car. You just say, God has blessed me. So there's a perspective of where you're coming from in culture that, that this can make sense. But we should be a little bit agitated by this story. And so, Jesus is not saying, okay, actually, there are only nine commandments. Stealing is going to be okay from here on out. And he's not saying all bosses should smile when people extort money from your company. He's not saying either of those two things. What is the point? And the good news is, Jesus says it directly. Here's the lesson. Oh, relief. Okay, I don't have a struggle with all that. Here's the lesson in the ninth verse, and this is the New Living Translation. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. So again, Jesus, I don't believe if we dig down and pray about this and go deeper, he's not saying, buy friends. I don't think that's his goal here. And he's not saying, this is how to get into heaven. This is your eternal home. Buy friends and you're going to heaven. No. So, what he's saying is, if people in the world know how to shrewdly accomplish goals with money, then we should use money to accomplish eternal purposes with creativity and wisdom. There are people all around us that are maximizing their assets. What are the followers of Jesus doing? How are we using money shrewdly, 
strategically to impact the world for eternity. So, what does this look like for us? So, I'm going to get granular today. I'm going to get down into it and be very practical. Now, as I looked at this passage again and again, I I struggled with it because I thought, you know, I, I want to do this amazing message that leaves everybody going, wow. Instead, I'm going, you know what? This is more like me talking to my children and saying, this is what we do with money. And I am so proud of my children because they are shrewd and frugal and wise, and they use their money to impact the kingdom, every one of them. And I I got a a call from Grace when she was overseas last year, and she said, Daddy, I want to sell my computer and get a cheaper one so that I can do this. And I said, Honey, that is just an awesomely bad idea. Here's what's bad about that, honey. I'm going to have to buy you a new one when you sell that one. But in her heart, she was thinking strategically. I want to impact the world. So, that's what I'm talking to you guys about today. We, I want you to be shrewd, strategic, generous people. That you're, you're thinking all the time, what, how do we turn a corner on this? What, what can we do to make Jesus known better? How can we accelerate his name and his impact in the world around us? So, generally, what does money do? It pulls us apart. Really complicated. Who has more than you do? You know, phones do not pull us together. We use our possessions do not draw us more close. It's a complication. Our homes, even. Our cars. These things cause comparison. Money really doesn't draw us together a lot of times. But I want to talk about how possibly it could draw us together today. What are some ways that we could approach money that allow us to build relationship and draw people closer to Jesus? So, a verse that's important to us, a passage that's important to us as a community is in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Anybody ever read Acts chapter 2, the end of it? Read the first part, come Holy Spirit... Then in the middle, Peter preaching. Then he says, repent and be baptized in the 38th verse. And then the early church is gathering, and he talks about what their life is like together. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking bread into prayer. It's what they do together. And then in the 45th verse, it talks about this community that they sold their possessions and they gave to anyone that had need. And we have cool stories in our community about helping people, With dental bills, helping people that have had their cars wrecked get new cars. I I think we could open up a mic right now and just say story after story of different ways we've been involved in one another's lives. Isn't that cool? And uh, so those things, because of a financial need, it brought us closer together. The humility of letting your need be known. And just, you know, it, there's some wisdom that's needed in this. Anybody know that's a little complicated sometimes? That when we, we can actually do damage if we give in the wrong way, with the wrong attitude, the wrong time. There's a, a book, When Helping Hurts, 
that is a, a great book to read. I'll read that. I'll say that again. When Helping Hurts. Someone else is punching when helping hurts. I don't know. It's like, it's like I'm going to cause some pain there. He remembers this. When Helping Hurts. Uh, and it's about ways that we serve, we try to serve the poor, and we actually make it worse. Because we build a dependence or we communicate a message that we didn't mean to communicate. We, we don't bring honor. We bring dishonor. So we need to be shrewd about this. We've got to understand how to do this. In, in Indonesia, again, we had a lot of experience in dealing with the poor. It was a complicated world for us to live in. And so in order to give to someone, I always had to have an intermediary. I would found people that I trusted that I could give to that could give anonymously to somebody. And that way, I built up certain people, gave them value in the community, and kept myself, my reputation, kept the foreigner out of the conversation. So it, we had to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves in this whole process. So uh, there, are, there are ways that we walk together in this. And, and as a church, this is what we do, okay? Our basic financial function as a church is, is as a cooperative. We're a co-op. What happens is as you come to God, first of all, you're giving to him, Lord, I give you my tithe. I'm giving you 10% of my income. I, I submit it to you. I lose control of these finances. See, a tithe is not 10% of your benevolence that you just want to do whatever you want to with. It has to be crossing some line where it's given away. And when you do that in a community environment, what we do together with integrity and an evaluation and, and an elder board and other people looking in and, and asking questions and openness is we're releasing people into ministry to train and to teach and to accelerate the spiritual growth in people's lives. So we are, we're doing that. That's what's happening right now. There is a, a cooperative thing that's going on. And we also have done some, some I think, some pretty amazing things as our Antioch churches over time. And it started this way. We thought, wow. Okay, here, when I, way back in the early 80s, when I was trying to figure out what the church was and reading through the book of Acts again and again and again, I thought, I want to be doing that stuff. And I want to be doing it internationally. I, I think what's happening with missions is that's the cool stuff. And we just have to sit here in this building and give money and, and never see that. I want to be involved in that. And so, as a community, we started training people and using our own funds outside of the tithe to send people into unreached places in the world. This has been a wonderfully, incredible, exciting journey. I could spend the next week literally telling you stories of miracles of people that had never heard about Jesus, having dreams of uh, all kinds of events happening in large scale and small scale. It's just like, I have a friend who has been involved in a movement that saw 30,000 people come to Jesus in the Middle East in the middle of a war situation. And uh, I'm going to be with him uh, later on this, this week. 
We're gathering all of our, our senior pastors and our mission leaders from around the world are going to Dubai this week. Susan and I are going there. And we get to be involved in strategic, cutting-edge mission things in the world. It's cool! And that's what we're doing together as a church. This is part of the cooperative that happens. And uh, so missionaries need to shout really loud when they say some of these things. Say, awesome! All right. So, we want to, this is how we're working together. This is part of our cooperative. And we want to stretch and maximize the impact of our finances every way we can. So, this is why we've done some things. You may not be aware of this, but we line our salaries up with the Boston public school system. And right now, we're about 80% of that. We actually are trying to get there. And the goal is the more frugal we can live, the more people we can release into ministry. And this is, this is why we do our discipleship schools. We just believe everyone that wants to can be empowered and developed and trained and released into ministry. Once you've done your discipleship school, if you're, you feel a calling for that, you want to take a risk, and, uh, it's what Alex is doing this year. You step into ministry and say, God, how, I, I trust you to provide my needs above and beyond this is not a budgeted thing. This is a person saying, I, I want to talk to friends and family and whoever, get involved in my life. And we connect with that. We're leveraging people for greater impact in ministry in our city and in our community. I think that's cool. There's a lot of, there were a whole list of rules. Churches do this and churches don't do that. And I just took every bit of that and erased it and said, what do we want to do? What can we do? How can we accomplish this? How can we strategically and shrewdly, with generosity, accelerate what God is doing in, his, in, his king, in, the, in the world today? When I came to Boston, we were, they were saying, oh, we can't do this. I say, we may not be able to do that, but we're going to try. You can't do that in Boston. It's too expensive. It's this, that, and the other. So we may go down in flames, but we're going for it. So... There are these corporate things that we're doing together. But I want to I talk about your life group, your roommates, your friends, your family, how you can do some strategic, shrewd, generous stuff. We're entering into the holidays right now, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Lord, I, I, I believe he's going to put a whole bunch of little platoons out there, little communities, little forces there where people are going to band together and see some specific impacts, these little kingdom explosions in different places. Someone say amen. Amen. Okay. We want to meet needs inside and outside of the church and use money to leverage eternal impact together. Now, We're moving back into Luke chapter 16. The next three verses say, don't go big, go small. Even though the wasteful manager was complimented, these verses actually do the opposite. They rebuke him. Luke 16.10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. In the 11th verse, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? 
And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Does that sound like he's complimenting or rebuking the, un, the wasteful manager? He's saying the opposite of everything this guy just did. So we can have confidence that there are still ten commandments and that bosses do not have to compliment people that extort money from their organizations. <clears throat> Jesus says, You will not be trusted with a lot if you are not first faithful with little. You know, we, we want to we get big ideas, and I, I love, I, you know, I get... I'm an idea machine. I just get way too many ideas. I just, on a regular basis, no, no. No, I I better not pray today. I've got too many ideas already. God's going to start speaking to me, and I can't even do what I'm already doing faithfully. Lord, help me. But uh, I, I just get tons of ideas. But we start small. Sometimes we get ideas that are huge, and they suffocate us. And big ideas are, are intended to grow character in our life, to give long-term purpose, to, get, to give us destiny. But character has grown bit by bit, decision by decision in our lives. He says, you will not be given true riches. What is that? These spiritual, eternal things are not going to be happening in your life if you don't know how to deal with money. Now, how many of you wish at times when someone who has great spiritual authority has problems with financial integrity had learned this lesson early on? Jesus is saying, I don't care how many big spiritual things you do if you don't know how to deal with money with integrity. You will not be trusted. In fact, if you get a lot of authority without learning these basic lessons, it will eat you up. It will destroy you. It will expose the cracks in your foundation. Susan's, my mother-in-law, used to say, your sins will find you out when you least expect it. Huh? When you least want them to. Your sins will find you out. That's, it was her mother, not my mother. So she... <laughs> She knows this much better than I do. And she heard it a few more times directly. Your sins will find you out when you least want them to. Build integrity in small things. Build integrity in your life with how you deal with money. Return change if they gave you too much back. Make... The honesty in small steps. Then he says, if you are not good with someone else's possessions, you will not get your own property to care for. You know, I have a big dream. I want to see an apartment complex in Boston releasing intercession for the nations. Worldwide revival. But I don't know how to take care of my own apartment. And, uh, you know, and I leave it totally trashed out before I go. And uh, no, 
Take care of your place as if it were your own. Make the small repairs. Don't make the big repairs. Make the small repairs that honor the owner. And you're going to get more. There is a, there are some spiritual principles here. I want a house in Boston. Honor the place where you're living right now. If you borrow a car, return it clean and fill it with gas. If you break it, fix it. Tip well. Do small things with integrity in your finances. Develop spiritual impact in small ways. Now, what does this look like in, in even more detail? I have a, I, my notes say, not NATO, N-A-T-O. No action, talk only. We're not just talking about having a philosophical conversation about this. We're not just stepping around, you know, like, wouldn't this be an interesting idea? No, we want to look for things like this. Here's, here's some ideas. For roommates, life groups, friends, working with others to take your ideas of generosity to the next level. There's some things that you could do. Say, well, I only have $50 to spare. Well, what if five of you got all your $50 together? Then you got $250 for a project that you could work together on that would leverage your impact for the kingdom. It would force you to talk with each other. It would force you to think outside the box. Maybe there's a handful, of, maybe there's one of you that says, I want to bring a $500 matching fund thing to my life group. I want to push this thing. I want to see what we can do. And let's just take on, let's take on something and leverage some sort of, what is it? I don't know. I've, I've seen, you know, you see different random acts of generosity out there. We're not going to do random acts of generosity. We're going to do shrewd, strategic generosity purposeful generosity that we pray about and think about, that we want it to be like a laser beam accuracy that opens up some place for the kingdom of God. It takes time. It takes thought. It takes ideas. And uh, so again, this is, we, we found that we lived, we lived in, the, in this country that we had to figure out a lot of stuff about how to deal with the poor, because that's what we were surrounded with everywhere we went. The people that I work with in ministry. And uh, so I'd pray, and, I, and I, I, I went to what we had as kind of our, our, our type of life groups, these little house churches over there. And I said, I taught them about generosity, and I said, what can you do? I want you to pray. It's you. It's not me. This is something you're doing. And, but, but I want to be involved with this with you. So they went away and they came back to me and they said, we want to help pay for funerals. Now, again, in this context with people that don't have a lot of money, they don't have IRAs. They live bill to bill. They live, you know, we get the money, let's go buy groceries. It's just, it's normal. There's, there's bananas on that tree. There's coconuts over here. We've got papaya over there, and uh, we've got some chickens. It's, it's a very simple place. They don't have indoor heating or air conditioning, but they've got enough, and they've got amazing lives. You know, it's just some statistic I read. You know, what is the maximum happiness 
level, it was like $700 a month. Those are the happiest people in the world. Because if you have too much stuff, it does not make you happy. There is a reverse corollary that happens with finances. So with these guys, I'm not, you know, there's a level of happiness that they're experiencing. But I wanted to accelerate kingdom impact in the Muslim world that they were surrounded by. So we have these little Christian groups in Muslim communities. And what happened was they said, okay, if we can all... If everybody in our little group puts together $5 a piece, then, uh, then we're going to get together and, and occasionally there's a funeral. Now, again, in, this, in the culture that we lived in, I, we lived in a little city of a million people, you know, Asian, dense cities. We live on the island of Java. Java is just a little bit uh, bigger than the state of Tennessee, and it has 125 million people in it. So there's a lot of people together. And so for some reason, we heard about deaths on a regular basis. It's not the healthiest place in the world, motorcycle wrecks, all these different things. So this was a real practical thing. And when they, they would like every three months, something would happen like clockwork. And all of a sudden, their little group of believers would go and present to this family enough money to pay for a significant amount of the funeral. That was strategic, shrewd act of generosity. Another time, I, I was, again, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with the poor, and I'm trying to figure out this, and I'm saying, You've, they've got worries and cares. How do I motivate them? So I did a, a lesson on generosity, and then I, I wish I have an example of you. The, uh, the, the denomination, it's 100,000 rupees. It's about $10. And... Uh, and I take these bills and I put them in the front of the church. And I said, okay, here's my invitation. If you will use this money to give to somebody, come down and pick one of these up. Now, this is like two days' wages for some of these people. $10. And so it was a, it was a funny thing. I thought, this could really, who knows what's going to happen when I do this. This, you know, this is... Mark offends an entire community and has to leave the country and go home. But um, I talked to the pastor. I explained it to him, how we're going to do this. And he said, yeah, let's try this. And it was so funny because everybody was like, are you going to do it? Am I going to do it? What's going to happen here? But slowly, kind of almost with a sense of celebration, someone would step forward and take it. And different ones acted... And, and people were like, wow, you're gonna, you don't have that much money, and you're going to give it away, even though it's not yours, you know, but you're doing this. And, and for weeks after that, I'm getting stories of what happened in their emotions individually when they gave. See, we need this generosity to break us free from fear and anxiety, from jealousy, from from perversion from all kinds of demonic things that happen in our lives that wrap us up. Generosity sets us free. <coughs> and we need people to, to need us. And, and we get pulls us together when we meet those needs. So, young adults, get together. I, I challenge you as life groups, as groups of friends, possibly roommates, just to pray over the next week, the next couple of weeks, what can we do to walk together in an SSG, 
a shrewd, strategic act of generosity. Um, challenge, you know, maybe you, you say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put this money to there, and anybody can take some if you will take someone to dinner. If you will, if you'll find a practical need and just report about it, you can take as much of this pot as you want to. Or, or let's talk together about how we can do this. Let's use our finances in a way that bring us together to impact people for the kingdom of God. Students, you may not say you have any money. Maybe you do have some money. But, but uh, if you don't have money, give time. And that's what the, it's happening at the end of the month uh, at Lion of Judah and serving the street people. You will receive by giving. I was down there. It was wonderful. It's actually a lot of fun. You know, you might be a little scared at some point in time to get down there. The church is just crazy spiritual. We went down there, uh, and they said, I, I, I got there at 7.30 or something. Oh, we got here at 5. And I'm looking around at the food. It's like, well, there wasn't that much food to prepare. Oh, no, no, no. We prayed for an hour and a half. To serve the poor, we spent an hour and a half in prayer before we gave them any food. Yes! If you don't have money, give time. Families, if you don't have time, invite someone over to your world. Had, we lived in a, a poorer part of the city of Austin, and I had a friend in that area that owned an apartment complex. He's quite a character, but uh, he really took, he made it a part of what he did to take in ex-offenders and as, who had a hard time finding a place to live, and he would give them places to live in his apartment complex. And we talked about this whole thing, you know, how do you give money? And he said, you know, I see this all the time. People give people money. If you want to blow someone away, invite them over for dinner. That, you know, give them money, give them 20 bucks, you can give them 100 bucks. That's nothing compared to sitting at your table and you getting, getting to know you. So, if you don't have time, invite someone to your world. Thanksgiving is a great time for something like this. So, uh, Becky, come on up here. We're going to take a time of reflection right now. And I'm going to ask you to pray. How many of you want to get some ideas? Just kind of, don't let anybody see, but just kind of do this with your hand, you know. (laughs) I want ideas about how to be generous. Don't want to attract too much attention to myself. We want to get into a giving mode instead of a fear mode. We want to be responsible with small amounts so that God brings increase. We'll do our part. He'll do his part. That's what's cool. And we want to look for ways to cooperate as we do this. I just love the idea of finding ways to where money brings us together instead of bringing us apart. That's kind of discernment related to that. And and that we do it in ways that honor people, make them feel valued and respected, built up and significant, seen and known by God. So here's what we're going to do. Take five minutes. Becky's back here worshiping Jesus. And your heart is to be toward him. And I want you to say, take out a pen, take out your phone.
Do not send text messages, but make notes. Do whatever you, you can and say, how can I use money creatively to leverage the kingdom and who can I work with? That sound good? Interesting? You got a challenge? How can I use money creatively? How can I set aside a sum? For some of you, maybe it's 20 bucks, or I got a hundred bucks, maybe it's a thousand dollars. I want to do, I want to take a risk in this season. I want to just put something out there and do it with others. Do something that brings relationship together, that causes you to, to, argue about it a little bit. No, I think this would be better than that. Or what if we do it in this way? We build all these little committees, all these different community interactions. Okay? So pray right now.